Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, and the wind died down, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Our preacher today is Dane Kramer, and Dane lives in Somerset, PA, with his wife, Cynthia. For 11 years, Dane served as pastor at a United Methodist Church in Lower Somerset County. Since 2011, Dane's ministry has largely been focused on encountering men and women who are at a crossroads in their life and are hungry for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Dane preached at Midway last winter, and we are excited to have him return. Welcome, Dane. Good morning, everyone. So good to be here with you again today. Again, my name is Dane Kramer. I'm from Somerset. Uh, I would think it was here in January, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was right after your Pastor Matthew's uh, winter odyssey hike uh, out in my area. And hiking is what uh, Pastor Matthew and I sort of uh, got to know each other through. He came to my area to do some hiking, and we, we kind of hit it off, and, um, and I'm here. So that's uh, why I'm here. He, was, he invited me a few weeks ago, months ago, to come here again, and I was anxious to accept the invitation and come back here with you. Um, I appreciate the warm welcome, and it's just good to be with you all again today. Um, yeah, I was a pastor for 11 years, stepped out of that to do uh, some other ministry, and in time, God opened up at a door at the county jail, so that's now my church. Um, I go to the county jail uh, two to three times a week um, and lead Bible studies at the county jail uh, I, I had been at the, uh, the state prison for a while, but uh, COVID kind of changed things. I got sort of locked out of there for COVID and just haven't made it back in there uh, yet. But uh, so for the past 10 years now, I've been ministering at the, at the county jail. I don't want to see any of you at my church service, by the way. Um, but it's a, it is a privilege to meet people at uh, a at a crossroads in their life where they're, they're looking for some answers. Uh, they're asking some of the big questions. And to be there at that moment is just a, a wonderful uh, thing for me. I'm just best, blessed uh, beyond measure to be, to be able to be there. 
Um, so again, thank you for uh, allowing me to, to participate in your worship service today. It's an honor to do that. Although I have to tell you that being a, a guest speaker is sometimes almost feels like a, a, a shallow honor in some respects to me. Um, it's almost like uh, the non-custodial parent coming to visit on a weekend. Um, you know, I, 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 I give you all candy, take you to the zoo, and then I leave. Um, uh, you know, your, your custodial parent, in this analogy, would be Pastor Matthew, who is here day in and day out with, with you. Uh, he's the one forming the relationships with you and ministering through that. And I have to tell you that a pastor doesn't just form relationships for your benefit. It's for, for the pastor's benefit as well. Um, and so he's the one who's with you all. And, you know, I kind of come in and just kind of do my thing, and I leave and, you know... Uh, take you to the zoo or something and, and, you know, have to turn you over to Pastor Matthew. But uh, I suppose just preaching itself has, has its own merit, has its own value, even if there isn't a deeply formed relationship between the preacher and those listening to the message. And so I'll just have to lean on that here today. Um, Matthew 14 is our passage today that, we, um, that was read for you, and that's where I'd like to talk from. You know, a couple of years ago, I kind of switched from reading books to listening to audio books. Um, so I, I was spending so much time on the road that it was a good way to just read a book and, you know, spend my time driving. And so I switched to audio books. And my favorite genre is historical. I, I love to read autobiographies, really enjoy reading uh, books about missionaries and things like that. But history, almost anything to do with history, any era of history is just fascinating to me. And so once I, I downloaded a book, I can't remember the title, but it was a, about a, a Jewish family during the Holocaust. And I thought, well, that, that certainly entices me, and I wanted to read about this or listen to it. And I got just a little ways into the story, and I thought, wow, this author has taken some liberties. I mean, certainly uh, talking about conversations that the author wouldn't have any knowledge of. And so I, I kept going on because the book was fairly interesting, but I kept thinking, wow, this author is really getting deep detailed about some, some things that he probably wouldn't have access to. So finally, after a while, I need to go back and read about, about the book. And so I went back and double-checked, and I had made a mistake. It was fiction. It was historical fiction. And I just, I just became depressed. Right? I, just, I don't want to read what didn't happen. I mean, I like to read what happened. I don't want to know what didn't happen. But today I'm going to switch gears in my thinking a little bit as we explore Matthew 14 today, I want to talk about what didn't happen. I want to talk about what didn't happen because what didn't happen in Matthew 14 might not be happening in your life. And what didn't happen in Matthew 14 might not be happening in the life of this church. And in my opinion, that would be a tragedy, something that I want to avoid. So if we look at this today, I want to focus eventually on what didn't happen there. But first, let's pause once more, if we can. Bow your hearts, and let's go to the Lord in prayer, seeking his blessing. Father God, it's so good to be here today. It's good to sing these songs and to worship with one another. It's good to fellowship, to embrace, and to shake hands, and just to be with people who are seeking you so good. But Lord, all of that is meaningless if you're not here. And we're seeking your presence above all. Come to us, oh God. Speak these ancient words from the text once again to us 
that we'd hear them with newness of life. You would stir us deeply, Lord, with you and your presence so that we would become more like you in all of our ways. And we would leave here today refreshed for having spent time with our Lord. These things we ask in his name. Amen. Matthew 14 is a busy, busy chapter. There's a lot going on in this chapter. A a lot is is happening as we read it. It begins with the account of the martyrdom of John the Baptist. Probably many of you know that story. John, this radical preacher, uh, had been arrested by Herod because John had the audacity to speak against Herod's marriage. He had apparently taken his brother's wife, Herodias, as his own. This violated Jewish law, and so John the Baptist, not a political man per se, but one who was interested in the, in, in the morality of the Jewish folk, he preached against that. And so Herod had him arrested. In Mark chapter 6, we read that Herod was kind of interested in John and liked to hear what he had to say, but his wife had other plans for him. She wanted him out of the picture. And then we read in Matthew 14, Herod had a birthday, and there was a big party, and his, his, well, his stepdaughter slash niece, it gets kind of weird there, danced for him, and he was so taken with her dance, and probably fueled by a little too much alcohol, made this very rash vow, and he said, I'll, I'll give you anything you want up to half of my kingdom. She went and conferred with her mother, who incidentally hated John the Baptist, and She returned with the request, we'd like John the Baptist's head on a platter. Incidentally, that's where we get the phrase, head on a platter. King Herod, uh, now knowing that he had made this vow in front of so many people, knew he couldn't backpedal, and so he did just that. He had John the Baptist executed. His disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, came, took the body, buried it, and then they came and they told Jesus what had happened. Now, this is still Matthew chapter 14. Jesus gets the news of John the Baptist's death, and it seems, as we read it, it just seems that that news struck him hard, because he immediately wanted to find a quiet place, a place to retreat, a place in the wilderness, a place alone. It's as if this news took his breath away, so to speak. That almost kind of challenges us. We, we often think of Jesus being a man who knew everything and had all knowledge and all, uh, you know, uh, all presence of all things like God, but we forget at times that he's still human here. And the news reaches him that his cousin, John the Baptist, as whom he said there was no one greater than this man, had died. And so Jesus, it seems, wants to retreat. He wants to just get away, just take a time out, a sabbatical, rest for a minute. And he, and he gets his disciples, and they try to get to a quiet place, but the crowd hears about Jesus' retreat. They know where he is, and so they seek him out. And Jesus, seeing the crowds coming to him, this is all still Matthew 14, seeing the crowds coming to him, we read that he was moved with compassion for them. Compassion, as you probably know, means to suffer with. He he suffered with them. These are his people. And he couldn't just send them away. I suppose he could have, but his heart just dictated something else, and so he invited them. 
I think there Jesus hands us a very good template for our own lives when we might be feeling discouraged, when we might be feeling depressed, or we might need a, a time out. And it's easy sometimes to think, I just need to get away from it all here. I just need to, just to regroup. And there's nothing wrong with that. But Jesus, in that same circumstances, decided to reach out to other people, to minister to others. I think sometimes that our lowest is probably when we need to reach out the most. I think sometimes when we're feeling under pressure the most, we need to consider the lives of the people around us. As we minister to others, as we reach out to others, especially in our moment of maybe hurt, I think we find God finds us. My wife used to help out with jail ministry. She would meet the women for a period of time. And I, and I know this because she would come home from work and she was tired and, and just exhausted and, and really not feeling it going to the jail that night. But she would go anyways and she would meet with the girls and she would come back with such energy. It's amazing how you, you know, you're not feeling ministry. But as Jesus displayed in Matthew 14, as he reached out at his lowest, we find him quite energized, I believe, by the people. Something just to keep in mind as we reach those low moments. So Jesus ministered to the people, spent all day doing it. He really wanted to get away, but he spent all day ministering to the people's needs, probably teaching them, probably instructing them on the kingdom of God and who God was, and probably healing them, doing what he did best among the people all day long. At the close of the day, his disciples come to him, knowing that he really wants to get away, and they say to Jesus, why don't you just send the crowds away now? Let them go back and get something to eat. But this day is not done yet. He said, you give them something to eat. Now, this story is actually found in John 6 and then also in Mark 6, a famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And they, if you combine all the stories together, they respond to Jesus, 200 denarii, a year's worth of wages isn't enough to feed all these people, and, and we don't have that. What do you have? Well, we've got a couple of small loaves of bread and some fish. That's it. We'll take that. See, God doesn't need much from us to do a lot. Just take someone willing to believe. Take someone willing to put their faith and trust in him. And he can do a lot from just a little. So have the people sit down. And they sat down and he took this small lunch. And I'll be honest with you, this is one of those miracles that I, I really wish I could have been present to see. Really, I mean, of all the miracles, I think this is the one that I, I, how do you do that? I mean, how do you take bread and some fish and break it and break it and keep breaking it? And the more you break it, the more that's there. I don't know. I just, I would like to have been an observer for that miracle just to watch it take place. Larry Eskridge, in his book, God's Forever Family, it's a story of, of the, um, the, the Jesus movement that occurred uh, during the hippie movement of the 60s and the 70s. It's a fascinating account. He tells the story of a, of a mission in, in uh, Southern California ministering to the hippies in, in this one particular city, in this one area. 
And the cook who told him the story said, I was cooking in the kitchen that day, and we knew we would have these hippies coming in. We, we wanted to feed them and, and give them the word of God. He said, and I had 30 pieces of chicken, and I was frying 30 pieces of chicken. And, and that day, 50 people came in. And he told Larry Eskridge, who wrote this book, he said, every one of them got a piece of chicken. He said, I don't know how that worked out, because after they left, he, he had asked how many people were here, and they said, like, we had around 50. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, we didn't have enough food. No, no, everybody had some. He said, that's impossible. I know how many I have. They all had. It seems, it seems as though God multiplied the food once more, and everybody had. Oh, I just, just want to see that. Yeah, just want to see that. So Jesus has the people sit down. He takes a small little lunch, and he breaks it, and he breaks it, and feeds everybody, and there's 12 baskets of food left over. And then, finally, he has them go home. This is all the same day. Has them go home. He puts the disciples on a boat, and they take a, uh, take a ride across the Sea of Galilee, and he goes up to the mountain alone to pray. This is what he'd been meaning to do all day long, and finally now this is what he wants to do, and he does. He spends time with his father, the news of John the Baptist still ringing in his ears. And he prays all night long. Meanwhile, the disciples are in the boat, and they're heading across the Sea of Galilee, and a bit of a storm swells the waters. And they're fighting the wind. The New King James says the wind was contrary to them. And they're, they're struggling a little bit, and Jesus comes down from the mountain, and he walks across the top of the sea, we read. He just walks across. He's crossing the Sea of Galilee. Mark 6 tells the same story. It's very interesting. Mark says something different that Matthew doesn't say, and he said that he would have passed them by. It's as if Jesus is walking across the water, and hey, guys, you know, he, he was just going to, he was, he let them row, and he was just going to the other side himself, and it just, he would have passed them by, but they saw him, and they freaked out. Now, a couple, or actually, last weekend, my wife and I, we took an inflatable kayak and went out on High Point Lake. It's a, it's a lake near Mount Davis, which is the highest point in Pennsylvania. Beautiful lake. And we're, we're out on the lake, and I was thinking about this passage, just thinking how odd that would be to be in a boat and look at this figure walking across the top of the water, especially at night, especially during a storm. It would freak me out. I may not stay in the boat. I don't know. I mean, it would be scary. So they see this figure walking across the top of the water and in their direction, and they start freaking out. It's a ghost. It's a spirit. I mean, it's just something not human. And maybe that's where Jesus directs his course, and he comes over, and he nears the boat. He says, no, 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 it's, it's, it's me. It's me, guys. Don't be afraid. It's me. It's me. And that's where our story takes a really interesting turn. There's Peter, and he's in the boat, and, and, and he's with the other disciples, and they're all taking in this scene of Jesus. He's walking on the water. Maybe he redirects his path, and he's path. I mean, it's on the water, but he, he's walking now, getting closer to the boat, and Peter gets this harebrained idea. I mean, where this comes from, I don't know. Peter's often accused as being this impetuous kind of guy who, who, who acts and then he thinks later about the way he acts. 
Some of you know Peter's. Some of you have raised one. Some of you may be married to one. You, you know what I'm talking about. You just kind of just do it, and then you think about what you're doing. So Peter gets this idea. Jesus is walking there on the water to him, and he said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out in the water. I think he's saying, because it's you, Jesus, let me come out. Let me come out of there. Now, this part of the story, I kind of have to tell you what I think. I, I can't demonstrate this to be true from the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell us this, and I'm telling you ahead of time, don't call Pastor Matthew and say, Dane was making stuff up. I know I am. I'm telling you I'm making this up. But Jesus, he stops, and, and, and the, the Bible says he said, come. But I kind of see it where he gets this smile on his face. That's just how I see it. He stops. And I can just, in my mind's eye, I see a smile spreading across his face, standing on the water and saying, come on. And the reason why I see that is because I believe God is very pleased with faith. God is very pleased with us trusting him, putting our reliance on him leaning on him. This pleases God, I believe. So much so that I see Jesus smiling. Come on out, Peter. Come on out. And so Peter, probably hasn't thought about what he said just yet, puts one foot over the boat. The other foot, you kind of see him holding onto the sides. He stands up and begins to walk towards Jesus. Now imagine that. Imagine that. He's, he's walking from the boat towards Jesus. Now, I know you know how this story goes. I, I'm sure you do. He's walking towards Jesus, and then he starts thinking about what he's doing. He's walking towards Jesus on the water. And as this probably is being processed, I, I mean, maybe he gets splashed on the thigh by a wave or something and just kind of jolts him in. Peter, what are you doing? The New King James says that the wind was boisterous. I love that word, boisterous. Boasting to Peter. You can't do this. You can't do this. Don't you do this, Peter. I'm the wind. I'm the waves. You can't walk on me. And as Peter was walking, he perhaps begins to see. In fact, he, he sees the wind and the waves and what's going on. And you know what happens. He begins to sink. Now, it almost sounds as if he sinks very slowly. I don't know how that, you'd think he just would drop in, but he just begins to sink as he, as he begins to doubt. You see, faith, believing in God, and doubting, not believing God, can't coexist, not, not simultaneously. You can't say, I believe I can walk on the water, while at the same time saying, I believe I can't walk on the water. And so Peter beginning to dowel, begins to sink in the water. And Jesus reaches out, and he, he rescues Peter, and he puts him back in the water. Great story. Matter of fact, we could probably spend the rest of our time together talking about that and the story or the, the analogies that it would bring, the life lessons we could learn about keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, trusting as we walk. Now, there's much to talk about there. But I told you earlier, I didn't want to talk about what happened. I want to talk about what didn't happen. All of this while where we're watching Jesus and Peter out on the waves, out on the water together, 
we, we're getting so caught up in the excitement of this moment that we almost forget that there's a boat over here. And there are 11 sets of hands still gripping white-knuckled the side of that boat. 11 sets of feet, quite dry inside. 11 pairs of eyes taking in the whole scene. There are 11 other disciples watching this. And did you notice that none of them get out? There's not one who says, I'll, I'll give it a try. Hey, hey, Jesus, can I, give that, can I do that too? They just watch and take in the scene. Wouldn't it be a really good ending to Matthew 14 if it said something like, and I'll use my best King James, and lo, the disciples said, Jesus, can we come out? And he, he bid them come, and all the disciples got out on the water, and that night they played ultimate frisbee, just running across the top of the waves, having a good time. And as the morning came, the disciples came skipping in on top of the water with Judas pulling the boat behind them. Wouldn't that be a fabulous ending to Mark 14? where they all just walked on the water. They all participated in this event. But it doesn't. It doesn't end like that. And, and the more I think about that, quite, quite honestly, the more it saddens me. They, they, they just watched and didn't participate. But they sat where it was dry and comfortable and watched what was going on, but they, they never engaged in it. And the more I consider that, the more I just think that's, that's a tragedy. They were that close, that close to the opportunity of stepping out and walking on the water. And I, there's no reason for me to doubt that Jesus would have forbidden that. Uh, if it pleased him to let one, why not allow the rest of them to step out and to, to walk on the water? but no one asked, and that's where they just remained. Uh, take Thomas, for example. Wouldn't that be good in his resume? Yeah, oh, yeah, I did this. I walked with Jesus, and I walked on the water. But he couldn't. Couldn't write that. Matthew couldn't say that. The best I could say is, I saw somebody do it. I heard their testimony. I was there that night when they testified. I saw it happen. They walked in the water. Did you know? I didn't walk in the water. No, not me. I watched it. I watched it happen, but I didn't participate. You know, one of the heroes of, of my faith is, or one of the heroes, the, the faith, I think, really, is, is George Mueller. You probably have, have heard of him. Born in 1805 in Germany, became a, a pastor in England. I, I think his autobiography should be required reading for, for Christians. He, he tells the story of how he was pastoring a small church, and, and he felt convicted by God that, that he, he shouldn't be paid by this church, this congregation. And so he's, he announced that one day, I don't want to check anymore. We'll just set a plate in the back, and if you want to put some money in that, you, you can support me that way. And he did that for a while, and God provided his needs, but then he felt further convicted, and he said, take the plate away. I work for God. And from that point on, the rest of his life, he never asked for a dime and God provided all of his needs. And then he went on to build several orphanages without ever once asking for money. 
It is said that he helped clothe, fed over 10,000 orphans in his day. All just trusting God for the next dollar. It's amazing. One of my favorite stories of, of George Mueller is he, he was at the orphanage one night and his helpers came to him and said, dinner's almost ready, but we're out of food. And he said, okay, have the children set the table and get ready and I'll, I'll pray. So he we went to pray and they came back. To the, 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 the children are ready, the table's set, but there's no food. He said, okay, have them do their evening devotions and I'll pray. I came back a little later and said, the children have done their evening devotions, they're set, the table, everything's ready, but there's still no food. And said that George said, well, let's say grace. And they said grace, and no sooner had they finished when there was a knock on the door. A baker traveling by had spilled his load of bread. It was no longer good for market. And he said, I have this bread, can you use it? And that's the way that he lived. He lived trusting God and seeing God's miracle, his miraculous provision in his life. But he only did that because George Mueller was willing to step out of the boat and to walk on the water, so to speak. I think most of us, if we're being honest, if we're sitting down talking about it, most of us here would say that one thing that they really would love to see in their life is, is God's hand moving. Oh, to see those things, to, to witness firsthand God moving in our lives and, and doing wonderful, miraculous even things. And yet, I think sometimes we fail to get out of the boat. And it's in my opinion that, that you see, the miraculous hand of God, the, the moving hand of God doesn't happen as often inside the safety and confines of the boat, but it's out on the choppy seas. It's where the wind is blowing. It's when the waves are swelling. It's the places that aren't always easy or safe. And that is where we find the hand of God moving, the miracles of a miraculous loving God sustaining us and holding us afloat. But the boat is secure. Oh, I feel safe in here. I, I like the feel of a good boat from the inside. Now, I don't want to step out there. It's risky. It's, it's dangerous even. I don't even know if God can provide for me out there. And in a way, that's the challenge. You know, as I meet the guys at the jail, oftentimes I'll, we'll talk about faith and whether God can be trusted. It's a valid question. And I'll, and I'll challenge the fellows. I'll tell, listen, if God can't be trusted, if you determine that God can't be trusted, then don't trust him. Don't trust him. If he can't be trusted, I mean, only a fool would trust someone who can't be trusted. So if God can't be trusted, don't trust him. But if he can, if you give him a little bit, in fact, I'll even tell them, you know what, if you can't trust God a lot, trust him a little bit. Give him a little bit and see if he can be trusted. Test him. Get one foot out of that boat. See if, see if he can be trusted. And if you find that God can't be trusted, then pull it back in, and that's fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. 
But if you discover that God can be trusted in your life, if you discover that he is reliable, that he is someone who can be believed in, then begin to believe him. Then begin to consider getting both legs out of the boat and to walk there on the water. Now, what this means for you, I have no clue. I don't know. I don't know this church intimately. I don't know who you are as individuals. I don't know what challenges have come your way. I don't know the things that you of a congregation are facing. But could it be that God is beckoning you to trust him into deeper waters, outside of the confines of the boat? Maybe some of you, on an individual basis, you're, you're wondering if God is calling you to this ministry or that ministry, whether he's calling you to do something bigger than you've ever done before, and you're not really sure. You're not really sure about it. I want to challenge you to remember the story of Peter and how he, not the other ones, experienced how God could sustain him and carry him even on on the choppy waters of the Galilean Sea. I, I don't know how this can be defined in your life. That's something that, that you need to think about. And, 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 I, and I really would love and challenge you to, to think about, this is that part of the sermon where, yeah, you have to kind of do some introspection. Sorry. But, but, but I want you to. I mean, I want you to start thinking about your own life and God's calling to you and, 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 and what more you can do to trust him. Where is he calling you? How is he calling you? Is he calling you to step out of a boat that has been so secure for so many years? One that you have felt comfortable in. I think sometimes we, we get out of the boat and before we know it, we're actually back in it. We're secure in that new place. And God calls us once more. No, no, a little deeper, a little farther out, a little bit away. Come on. The water's good midway. The water's great today. It's a wonderful place to experience God in his richness, his glory, his sustaining power, and his love for you. Can you step out of the boat, even for a moment, and find out if you can trust your God? And then if he is found trustworthy, can you begin to walk with him on the deeper waters, believing him, holding his hand, because I believe it's there that you will see the miraculous, sustaining power of a living, loving God in your life. It will so overwhelm you, you won't want to go back. You'll never want to turn and go back to the boat. You'll say, keep me out here. This is where I want to live. This is where I want to be. This is where I love. It all starts with a step. Will you pray with me? Father God, we give you thanks once more for your word and your spirit. Lord, I pray for this congregation. I pray, Lord, that there might be those who are seeking more from you, a 
deeper relationship, a dependence upon you. Lord, I pray that you would show it, make it clear to them the steps, even the dangerous ones that they may have to take, even the ones that seem risky, Lord, that you might walk with them and show them who you are in all of it. I pray for this church as a congregation, God, the ministries that they are exploring and how they're trying to expand the kingdom here, Lord, that they will be challenged to trust you in the deeper waters, waters which are churning even now with waves that are boisterous so that you can show them who you really are. I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.